Hello and welcome to Talking Finance. I'm Alan Kohler. And this week, of course, it's all about the markets. Jared Minak, my old friend and uh, former global strategist with Morgan Stanley, now with Minak Advisors, talks me through his thoughts on the issues going on. James Gerrish, Senior Advisor with Shoreham Partners, brings us up to date with what's actually been going on in the markets. Paul Bloxham, Chief Economist at HSBC Australia, explains the RBA's thinking, and they came out with their non-move of interest rates on Tuesday at the same time as the market was collapsing. And Barry Cassidy, just to get some politics in, presenter of Insiders on the ABC, runs me through the week in politics and the travails of Barnaby Joyce. Well, Jared, the headline on your note this week said, what doesn't kill you can make you stronger, which is a quote from Nietzsche. And actually, it was in the last book he wrote, which was just before he went in t- totally insane. So uh, I guess the question is, do you think the market is about to go insane or um, or uh, get stronger? Uh, well, look, in the, in the near term, the, the simple question is, who knows? The, the, the problem we've got is the market, in my view, is responding to more than just uh, the usual fundamentals. Uh, what's going on here is that there has been a lot of uh, internal adverse market feedback loops coming into play. Um, these partly reflect the so-called new technology of investing. Uh, what we've famously seen this week is the destruction of some of the uh, explicit plays on shorting or betting against volatility in the market picking up and they've been uh, wiped out in some cases. But they were just the tip of the iceberg, in my view. And there's a lot of other investment strategies that have implicitly or explicitly relied on volatility remaining very low. So volatility picks up, um, they have to respond, and they have to respond in ways that often means that volatility picks up further, hence these adverse feedback loops. I don't know. Um, how much longer these things have to run. Um, Clearly, these are are fast and aggressive markets with uh, big moves by the standards of the last few years. Ultimately, I think it will be washed out, but whether ultimately means next week or next month or next quarter, um, the honest truth is I don't know. The, the fundamentals suggest that you know the market's expensive, but the uh, but so are earnings, and so is the, so is growth. And that uh, what's occurred this week is an adjustment to the discount rate as a result of a change of expectations about interest rates. Does that um, does that ring true to you? It it does ring true um, with one qualification, which is the the adjustment in that discount rate has been rather minor, uh, and now. After today's close, um, we've got an official S&P 500 correction on our hands. Uh, it's fallen uh, just over 10% from its from its high. And I'd rate that as an overreaction to what was a relatively minor adjustment on the rate side. And in particular, to the extent that you want to sort of point the finger at anything, um, the strong wage figure that we got in the US payroll report last week, my own view, that's a statistical fluke that probably reflected the bad weather and it may well correct uh, next month, it's not the sort of newsprint that deserves a 10% correction. So on the one hand, I agree there's a shift in terms of rate and inflation expectations, and that is quite important. On the other hand, I think the outsized market reaction reflects some of these adverse feedback loops that have become embedded 
in a lot of investment strategies. Do you think we're back in a good news is bad era as we were perhaps before Trump was elected when um, every time there was a good news print of some sort, uh, the market reacted downwards by it because of the implication on what the Fed would do? Do you think that's, do you think that's uh, back again? I, I think we're getting there. Uh, I mean, that's almost the definition of being uh, in a late cycle economy, which is to say uh, if you upgrade your growth forecasts, uh, you at the same time need to upgrade your rate forecasts. That doesn't mean equities necessarily go down, but what it does typically mean is that uh, their valuation starts to come under a little bit of pressure. So it's very normal in the latter paid stage of an economic expansion to see equities continue to rise at a gentle pace as earnings continue to grow, but there's a partial offset uh, in terms of valuations coming under some pressure. Now, that's a complete change from last year, which was really, from an equity investor's perspective, uh, Goldilocks on steroids. Uh, we got tremendous earnings growth on the one hand, uh, and on the other hand, we got none of the bad stuff that normally goes with that. Long-term interest rates fell, uh, inflation expectations got scaled back, and that's why last year was such a wonderful year for investors. This year, increasingly, is looking like a much more normal year, where, yes, on the one hand, we get the earnings growth, on the other hand, we get the partial offset of uh, rates putting pressure on valuation. I still think it's going to be a mediocre year, but positive returns. I think what we're seeing now is you know, a long overdue correction that may be more violent than is normal because of these internal market dynamics. So do you think, uh, I mean, without commenting on this particular correction, who knows what will happen, but do you think it's a buy the, di buy the dip year? I think this will be a buy the dip example. Whether it's a buy the dip year is a little bit more moot. Um, we've just had overnight not just uh, another down day on equities, but another uh, effective fiscal loosening in the US announced with a deal to keep the US government open that's going to increase spending further. This comes on top of the, the Trump tax package. I think fiscal policy works. It's just that we don't need it at this stage of the cycle. And to the extent that we're getting further fiscal stimulus, uh, we probably need to see interest rates go higher than what we thought was likely even a week ago. And I think that may start to concern investors later this year about the risk of a policy stuff-up next year. And I do think there's a risk of a recession next year. If markets start to think that later this year, then it'll turn from being a buy-the-dip market into a sell-the-rally market. But that's a story for later this year. So are you, um, just finally, are you um, still a believer in um, structural disinflation? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, the remarkable thing about the growth we've seen over the last uh, 12 months, uh, in my view, is not that we've, we've got growth. Um, it's that it's taken a decade of extraordinary uh, exertions by monetary policy um, to get us any growth at all. Uh, in Japan and Europe, it's been multiple years of zero, in fact, sometimes negative rates. Uh, in the US, yes, the Fed has started to move, but we've had very low rates and now fiscal stimulus. So to me, uh, it still means that next downturn, we're going to have a lot of problems because we're not going to have the policy levers, at least the conventional policy levers, to get us out of the jam. And I very much think that rates stay lower for longer, even if they bounce a little, um, ultimately, the market that is going to be by the dip is going to be 
debt markets. And if a 10-year treasury in the US gets much over 3%, uh, I will be getting my mother to buy them. <laughs> oh, your mother, Jared, she's, uh, she's out there. Well, it, and, uh, you know, that's a straight statement of optimism, partly because she's in her 80s and I'm asking you to buy a 10-year bond. But um, <laughs> I think it'll do her well. Joined now by James Gerrish, Senior Advisor, Insurance Partners. How does this correction sit on the hit parade of uh, market panics that you've seen? It's, uh, it, it's definitely up there. I mean, that the the US market was a pretty savage uh, fell off earlier in the week, Friday, and then again uh, earlier in this week. But you've got to put it in the context of where the US market has come from in Jan- January. Um, we obviously had an exceptionally strong January. There's no doubt that the US market. You know, running ahead of earnings. Earnings are strong, but the market's still running ahead of earnings. So, look, it should just be a warning shot for investors. I don't think it's um, you know, a, 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 the start of something more sinister, but it's certainly a warning shot. Alan. And what and what was it like uh, on the tr- on the dealing desks on uh, Monday and Tuesday? Yeah, it was pretty busy. We had the busiest day we've had um, in probably four or five years. Um, our desk um, was, yeah, was 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 extremely busy. I guess it comes down to what you were doing on those days. So. You know, you want to go into a, a period like that. No one, no one's immune from it. But you want to be holding some reasonable cash levels. Um, we were holding around the 25% mark, which we're comfortable with. Um, we bought a few things. We bought one stock on, on, uh, on the Monday, um, and we bought more, uh, more stocks and really spent out some of our bullets on Tuesday. So you know, we're sitting about 10% cash at the moment, um, which is low for us. Um, so we're looking to the market, you know, to bounce back from. Here. So you'd feel you'd you'd want to have more cash now, would you? Yeah. So, like my my overall view right now is that this is this is simply a warning shot. So, what's happened? Obviously, the U.S. market's overextended in January. Um, leverage positions were high in January. We've had a period in the last uh, few years where volatility has just been exceptionally low. But volatility being low forces you know, there's been a lot of um, um, uh, funds out there short volatility. And then when you get that big move of rising volatility, that unwinds. And that's why we've had such a, a, a meaningful pullback in the last um, week. Um, just more around the positioning rather than something underlying or more sinister happening in the market. Well, that's my view at least. So no, we like holding um, upwards of 10% cash. Um, given what the market's done, we've deployed some of that. Um, I think the market will go back and make a new high again. So I think you know what's happened is it's... it's provided a warning shot. I think there's, there's a lot of imbalances out there and what we've seen at the start of the week is just one of those imbalances creating a, 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 a major market sell-off and I think there'll be more to come, Alan. What, what's your view of the impact on the market of uh, algorithmic trading and ETFs? Does that yeah, does that potentially worsen the volatility? Yeah, I think so. I think there's, well, I think there's two, a couple of things at play. So US market was exceptionally strong. So that forced a lot of people, that fear of missing out. And if you go and buy um, you know, an ETF which tracks the market, you're not a natural holder. You're buying today because you think the market's going to be higher tomorrow. And when the market's not higher tomorrow or is exceptionally weaker the, the following day, then you're a natural seller. You've also got the concept of where you, know, you hold bonds in the US for yield and uh, equities for growth. Because bond yields were so low, you had these um, yield-hungry investors over in the States holding equities, and they're not a natural holder of equities. So, you know, the, the selling creates selling in that regard. So I absolutely think that you know, ETFs, leverage in ETFs, ETFs themselves, 
uh, is going to increase the market volatility, particularly in the major industries. Um, you know, ETFs account for a massive part of the US market. And all these people who are shorting the VIX, the, um, the volatility index, were picking, up pen- were picking up pennies in front of a steamroller, weren't they? Yeah, so I mean, I sell in across our portfolios. We 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 also sell volatility, sell um, options over the top, index options. But it depends how you've been positioned. So that trade, <coughs> excuse me, has worked for the last five years. There's no no doubt about that. So continuing to sell volatility, as volatility is, is, is simply gone being crunched. But when it obviously picks up, that's gonna that's gonna hurt your portfolios. But bear in mind that you've had five years, and a lot of these funds have had five good years of doing that. So it'll just be a case where perceptions now change around volatility. Ten's no longer the norm, which it was, you know, for the last twelve months. Twenty or thirty will become the norm. And if you're going in and selling volatility now, it's actually gonna work out better for you over the longer term. You'll take a short term hit, there's no doubt about that, but it will in the environment going forward. Selling volatility when volatility is higher makes more sense. And um, what sort of stocks were people buying this week when it was down? Were they were they interested in small caps or uh, or big large yield stocks? Yeah, so look, we don't we don't do a lot in the small cap space. A lot of the small caps that we do, or the mid caps that we do follow, got um, you know hurt hurt a fair way. So Zip Money was one that um, we'd um, we'd been involved in the last couple of months. That got hurt. Like you had a, a very good run up into this, um, you know, recent weakness, but that got hurt. Um, you know, we bought things like, um, we actually, we bought CBA as of yesterday, uh, Rio ahead of their result. Um, um, that looks reasonable. Janice Henderson, so they reported um, yesterday, um, we bought that prior to that result after the, you know, in, in the weakness. So some of the fund managers we bought, Macquarie before they, after they reported, actually, they were down 6%. Um, on a good result, and they provided, you know, guidance of the next 12 months. So that was a, a positive from Macquarie. So we stay ma- mainly in the large cap space, but yeah, obviously, yeah, others will be buying mid cap and small cap, but we're mainly large cap guys. Joining me now is Paul Bloxham, the chief economist of HSBC Australia. So, Paul, it was interesting that the um, the market corrected this week at the same time as the Reserve Bank came out with its. Uh, monthly statement, which was fairly upbeat. What did you learn from it? Well, the RBA is saying similar things to what it was saying late last year. It expects growth to pick up pace this year. In fact, it's flagging that growth will lift to above a 3% pace, which is above trend for Australia. Uh, the labour market is, is tightening up, and if anything, actually, the labour market is looking a bit better than they were expecting. And they think that that pick up in growth and the tightening labour market will gradually start to put some upward pressure on wages and inflation. Uh, they, the, the, the emphasis here is gradual. The RBA thinks this is all going to happen quite slowly. And so we heard from the governor last year, he, he, he told us that, the, that, that he thought that the next move for interest rates was up, but it would be quite some time. I think that's the main message we got from the RBA uh, again, which is that it'll be some time before they start to think they need to lift interest rates. Do you, uh, do you agree with that? Where are your forecasts and your thinking about the economy? We're a bit more optimistic than the RBA. We actually think that things are turning around quite quickly. Uh, I think the clearest evidence of that is in the labour market, which is showing strong employment growth. Uh, But we think Australia is also getting some support from the global story uh, in in a bigger way. Uh, We we think that the global upswing is going to flow through to Australia. Three key channels for us are, firstly, commodity prices are up, which is boosting national incomes. Secondly, global demand for other things that we produce, like services, um, education and tourism, we think 
will be well supported with a recovering global economy and also the pickup in global business conditions we think will feed through to Australian hiring and business investment decisions. So we've got a stronger forecast. We think growth will lift to 3.2%, which puts HSBC at the top, the most optimistic of, of the economists um, across the street with the highest numbers in the consensus at this point. Yeah, well, the, the stock market fell out of bed both in the US and here because of um, expectations that, that interest rates will rise more quickly than it had previously been um, factored in. So what's your view now about interest rates? Well, we, we've got in mind that for Australia, the RBA uh, may very well be starting to lift its cash rate in the second half of this year. Um, we think that that strong growth story will feed through to a bit of a lift in wages growth and a bit of inflation pressure, and that the RBA won't want to be behind that. So we think that they probably are behind the curve. So we think they'll probably start to lift their cash rate from the third quarter of, of, of this year. I think that the, the, the stock market story really does illustrate just how much the real economy is a different thing to the stock market. The two are quite separate con- ideas. The stock market is just part of the economy. Uh, and so the stock market decline we've seen, I don't think it's thrown that story off track. And certainly the RBA was quite clear that it didn't even get a mention in the statement we got from the RBA on the Tuesday. Yeah, well, they are different, obviously, but they're connected by interest rates, aren't they? They are, absolutely. So the stock market valuations have been very buoyant in recent times because of an expectation of strong earnings growth in the future. And that earnings growth is is somewhat, it's been assumed in in, in the market pricing that uh, wages growth and inflation would stay quite contained and that would support the profitability of corporates. So that's been supporting the stock market. I think the big thing that's really starting to shift a little bit is um, the labour market in the US is tightening, wages growth is showing some signs of lifting. And so that expectation expectation that you might be able to have costs continually contained is starting to change. Now, if inflation and wages start to pick up a bit faster than is expected, then you'd expect the central bank may have to move a bit faster, start to lift interest rates. And as you described, that's the mechanism, I think, that, that the, the market is looking at right now. And that, that's part of the reason we saw the stock market fall, is that sense that perhaps costs will start to rise and easy money, um, which we've had for so long, does start to get pulled back a bit faster than is expected. So your um, top of consensus forecast for the Australian economy are really a China story, I think, aren't they? And uh, where are you on on your thinking about China? Well, we're quite optimistic on China as well. We've got an above consensus forecast. We think growth will run at 6.7% this year, which is similar sort of to the sorts of rates we saw last year. Uh, one of the things that supports the China growth story is that lift in global growth. So we're seeing an improvement in conditions in the US and in Europe, and that's flowing through to a pickup in global trade. Uh, so for the last few years, China has needed to replace that trade growth story by building more infrastructure, and that's been somewhat leverage-fueled. Now, the Chinese authorities are able to a bit more concentrate on the manufacturing industry. Uh, exports of manufacturers uh, are rising. It's ri- they're rising quite quickly, and that's a helpful story for, for China's own, for the balance of China's own growth. And what about Australian housing? How do you see that unfolding now? Well, we think the housing market is cooling. There are clear signs of that in our view, uh, particularly the Sydney market has, has, has stabilised recently. We think that the Melbourne market will start to cool down a bit as well. It's got a bit more momentum because population growth has been strong there. But the key thing for us is 
We think that although the housing market cools and we see single-digit house price growth this year rather than double-digit house price growth, uh, we think that we're able to do that without it having a really disturbing effect on the economy. We don't think it's going to deliver a big negative shock to the rest of the economy. We, we don't think there's been much of a positive wealth effect from the rising house prices. Houses, households have been quite cautious in their spending behaviour in recent times. So we doubt that a slowdown, again, we're not expecting sort of big falls in prices, but a slowdown is going to deliver much of a, an effect on the rest of the economy. And the key thing here, the key thing is always what happens with the unemployment rate. And in our view, the unemployment rate uh, will fall further this year, which makes it highly unlikely in our view that you're going to see any sort of correction or proper, proper move in, down in house prices. We think they'll, they'll level out and we'll get a soft landing is our central case. Joining me now is Barry Cassidy, the host of Insiders on ABC TV. Uh, so, Barry, is this Barnaby Joyce stuff a passing storm, do you think, or is there something more uh, more fundamental going on? Um, it could be a passing storm, though the Labor Party has signalled that it's going to raise a couple of issues around this while they say that uh, they accept that the, the circumstances are personal. Uh, Mark Dreyfus, the Shadow Attorney-General, has said that they want to look at, um, at public expenditure around this. Uh, when Barnaby Joyce said last night that this had been FOI'd and it came up empty, that, that is uh, a bit deceptive because, in fact, they were FOI'd, but those FOIs were refused. Um, so the public is none the wiser, the media is none the wiser as to whether there's an issue there in terms of travel and public expenditure. And the second issue that Labor has foreshadowed that they plan to look at is around staffing arrangements. As to, uh, this, um, uh, because she moved from office to office through the, the, this period, they'll be asking questions as to whether she was given special privilege. So it does appear as if um, the, the, uh, there, there will be um, issues around these circumstances that, that might yet be followed up. What about the question of whether the voters in New England should have known about it before the by-election last year? Well, again, this, is, this comes to the question whether it's just a, a personal issue and, and, and there was no right to know because it didn't impact on, on his decision-making. But, you know, that's an interesting story too in the Herald Sun that, that says that some national MPs uh, are arguing privately that, he, that his thinking was impacted um, by these circumstances and, and particularly his decision-making um, around that controversial reshuffle uh, because, according to this story, his judgment was, um, uh, uh, was affected in, in the sense that he, he had this, um, that this suspicion that one or two of his MPs were talking to the media and gossiping about this. And, uh, as you know, a couple of, uh, a couple of National Party MPs uh, were demoted. Um, so again, if if it did impact on on his judgment uh, while in office, then that's an issue. Do you think it's okay for um, for journalists in Canberra to keep this stuff quiet? Um, I mean, I, I suppose the the question that's being uh, being raised is the fact that Barnaby positions himself, you know, in the minds of voters as a family man. I think he had himself pictured with yeah. his wife and all that stuff. And then, in fact, well, something else is going on in his private life and that that makes it relevant um, and not private. Yeah, I, on, on the relevancy issue, I'm, I'm just a bit torn on that. What, what, I, what I would say, though, is that I don't think he's entitled to be angry about it coming out because, you know, let's face it, he's Deputy Prime Minister, he's in a new relationship, he's about to become father for a fifth time. I mean, for how long did he think this was going to be secret anyway? So at some point... 
it was going to come out. I think there is another issue here, though, and that is on the, the way that this, these kinds of things are dealt with in politics as opposed to the corporate world. Um, you go back to the AFL situation um, where a couple of executives resigned uh, because they had re internal relationships. Gil McLaughlin, the head of the AFL, said at the time that executives are role models, that they're judged to a higher standard, that they set a standard of behaviour for the rest of the organisation. And so they took the action that they did. That's not the approach that they take in federal politics. It's not the approach that they take at the centre of power in Canberra. And it just occurs to me that maybe now corporate Australia might say, well, we've seen, we've seen the way that, uh, that the politicians deal with this. We've seen the way that the government deals with this. Maybe we've been too tough in the past. Maybe we, we have, we've uh, been too tough on our people and we might apply the standard that, um, that, they, that they apply to themselves in Canberra. So it might have a knock-on effect in terms of how uh, these sorts of issues are dealt with right across the board. No, that's a good and interesting point, Barry. Um, of course, it's the um, uh, the standards and the behaviour in the corporate world are a bit patchy, you'd have to say, where Tim Warner at Channel 7 uh, wasn't sacked. And in fact, um, they've gone after the uh, mistress, Amber Harrison, in a huge way. Yeah, and again, it depends on, on the type of company that you're talking about. Channel 7 is different to the AFL. The AFL is, a, is, a, is an organisation that feels far more accountability to the public than Channel 7 does. So that's why you get this kind of uh, patchy response. And then again, you get a, a very different response again from Canberra. So it's, um, it's been a week of personal rev revelations, hasn't it, Barry? What else has been going on? Yeah, it has. I mean, to have in, in the same day, not only the Barnaby Joyce story in the papers that morning, but then Susan Lamb, the, the Labor MP, um, got up into the parliament to explain why it is that she wasn't able to get her uh, her parents' marriage certificate, which is her defence against the, uh, the, the, the claim that she's a, a British citizen. And she revealed that, um, that when she was six years old, she was dropped off to school one day and her mother never came back to pick her up. And um, that, that was a really tragic uh, thing to hear in the parliament. Again, it was about family breakdown and it was about the personal. What it misses, of course, and you have to be sometimes a little um, hard-hearted about these things, is, is that in fact, according to the, the birth, deaths and marriages people in, uh, in Queensland, that if you are in that situation where your parents might have died or you're estranged and you're in some way finding it difficult to get hold of the marriage certificate, you can go to them, explain your situation and, uh, and, and apply separately uh, in those circumstances. So in the end, it, it, it explains something, but it wasn't a defence against the position that she's in. No, indeed. I mean, I heard that that statement. I thought it was terrible. And poor woman, I, you know, you feel you feel for her. But um, but heavens above, it's got to go to the high court. I think, uh, just as a, a non-political journalist observing all this, that it's an absolute joke that the that the both sides of politics are in a standoff, and neither will uh, go to the high court anymore. It's, it seems to be over yeah. now. Yeah, there should have been some arrangement between the two that they clear the decks, that they put up a you know list of names on either side and send it off to the court and, and determine it. Um, Labor put that up, the government rejected it, and you can understand why. They've already had their problems with it and they felt they'd, they'd cleaned their slate. Uh, that's not Labor's position, but uh, it's you know it, these matters have to be resolved. It, it, it's on the record now that she is a that she's a British citizen. Um, no matter what the circumstances around it, that the, the law has to be applied. It, it's not a matter of, of dismissing some cases because the, there's a tragic story around it. Um, it. It's still a matter for a matter of law and matter for the High Court to determine it. I suppose just finally that Malcolm Turnbull's quite relieved and happy with all this focus on. Uh on personal issues because no one's focusing on his leadership now. 
Um, no, and if uh, if Labor was to lose uh, the Batman by-election, maybe it's not his leadership where the focus will be. It'll be on Bill Shorten. But, um, yeah, maybe in a sense, um, the, the, what the, the government needs is a bit of focus on, on the economic arguments, of course, and uh, you just get the feeling even one week in with the parliament sitting again that uh, that when they put down the fundamentals on either side, the government's got the harder task. It's it's their position that, you know, the trickle-down economics theory, that, that prosperity, you, you get, the way to prosperity is through customer company taxes. Their position is nowhere near as popular or populist, if you want to call it that, uh, as the opposition's position, which, you know, the government's position relies on a faith in an economic theory and that's harder to sell. Happy birthday, Bob Marley, who was born on February the 6th, 1945, and died just 36 years later of a melanoma that started under his toenail. So heads up, everybody. Keep an eye on your toenails. Here's one of his songs that I think is very appropriate for this week. Don't worry, be happy. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. In every life we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy now. That's it for Talking Finance. You can share your thoughts by emailing us at hello at theconstantinvestor.com. I'm Alan Kohler. Do have a great week.